Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network and now on C-Suite Radio. We also now have our own iTunes show, so check us out. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back with Matt Kelly for a special live recording of Compliance Into the Weeds. We are at Converge 19 uh, this week, and we are sitting down in Denver to record this podcast. I should alert you now. uh, Put the uh, children to bed because Matt is coming in hot. We are going to take a look at the Quad Graphics FCPA settlement from last year. Matt came out with an early blast, I think it was on uh, Monday, um, of uh, his indictment of the uh, enforcement action, but he's actually become more incensed since that time. So, Matt, you want to uh, tell us about this case, and then we can explore uh, why it's so egregious. Well, I'll, I'll do my best, but Tom, i got to admit, there's so many twists and turns and whole separate silos of misconduct here that we might need a flowchart or backup to make sure we got it all. Um, but the facts, of course, were that Quad Graphics, which does uh, printing and marketing stuff in your firm, may have used them for color coding or color printing a presentation from time to time. Uh, they paid $10 million to settle FCPA charges in their Peruvian subsidiary, their China subsidiary. Their Peruvian subsidiary not only bribed foreign government officials in Peru to win contracts, but then tried to bribe judges to fix a tax case, which didn't work, and they still lost the case until it got appealed to the Supreme Court, and then finally they won. Um, And the Peruvian people also were somehow involved in exporting goods and services to Cuba in violation of the U.S. trade embargo. Uh, My whole post just focused on bribing government officials in Peru. I never even got to trying to fix a tax case. I never got to China. I never got to Cuba. And you go on and on, and I'm like, holy hell. Like, this this case reads like a Jean le Carré novel, and um, I barely know where to begin. But almost every basic FCPA compliance error you could make, in my opinion, they made. Um, it looks like there was some real malfeasance by fairly senior U.S. executives who were basically told by the Peruvians, we're doing this, should we do it? And my favorite was when they were Peruvian officials, Peruvian executives were paying invoices to a subsidiary to make it look like uh, they're basically paying the bribe through a third party. We've seen that before told the U.S. executives they were doing this, is it a problem? And the U.S. executives said, don't send us any more of the suspicious invoices, we'll look into it. And then they never got back to them. And it just, there seems to be the willful intent here, up and down, left and right, and I was really shocked to see that the SEC took these actions, but the Justice Department has declined to prosecute, which really leaves me scratching my head about how did you reach that conclusion? Um, But like I said, we could go for an hour just on what the facts are before we even get into lessons learned. So I don't know where to start. So the, uh, as I recall from your blog post, one of the key points that you raised was that the company seemed to get credit for, uh, if not uh, uh, self-disclosure, stopping the bribery 
um, about four years after they found out about it yeah. and moving forward from there. And uh, I think that was highlighted um, uh, that the company um, had known about the bribery because uh, executives from Peru were asking, should we continue to pay the bribes uh, some three or four years prior to uh, this 2016 date? So uh, that certainly seemed uh, to be an anomaly. The um, actual knowledge of U.S. executives uh, clearly, uh, well, uh, seemed to me to be clear from the SEC enforcement action uh, as well. Um, I was a little puzzled by the Cuba component uh, because I had really thought under this administration that would be punished more seriously. Not that it wasn't taken seriously, but mm -hmm. perhaps punished more seriously. So I'll start with the supposedly prompt disclosure that the Justice Department credited Quad Graphics as part of why they declined to prosecute. So here's what actually happened, and I have to pull back up the notes to make sure we get all of this right because it's so bizarre. Um, but by 2013, as these bribe payments were happening, happening from Quad Peru to government officials, the finance director in Latin America um, took his concerns about these payments to the U.S. finance director, like the global finance director for the whole company up in the United States. This was in 2013. He said, we're making these payments. Should we keep doing it? This looks a little fishy. And the U.S. director replied, do not send me these fishy invoices. I will look into this in 2013. And there was no follow-up. Two years pass, a new Latin America finance person comes in who does have the horse sense to say that these bribes are bribes, we shouldn't be doing this. He goes back to the U.S. corporate executive suite, tells the same U.S. executive two years ago who said, don't send me the bribe payments, the invoices, I'll look into it, and then never looked into it. The same U.S. guy now in 2015 says, oh, well, let's look into this. He finally consults with legal, they self-disclose to the government, and here we are. And yet somehow the Justice Department now says, well, that was prompt self-disclosure. How is it prompt disclosure when you sat on this knowing it for two years, you specifically said, don't send me any more of these invoices. And then when a second person comes back to the same executive with new complaints, then they decide to report. Like, that's not prompt. That's knowing for two years that you had a big mess and putting your fingers in your ears and hoping it would go away. Maybe there is some secret collection of facts that have not been disclosed. Um, that would be nice to know, but all the Justice Department says in its declination letter is they get credit for prompt disclosure and remediation and all this other stuff. Look, that's not prompt. So why did they say it was? I mean, I've, I am seriously wondering if this is just a cut-and-paste error from somebody in the DOJ offices who didn't delete the word prompt before they churned out this declination letter that they published. It makes no sense. So what uh, about the bribery schemes did you find particularly offensive? Ooh, let's see. Um, I especially liked that there is the bribes were funneled through four sham vendors, um, three of which were had the same physical address in Peru, and all four were owned by the same person. And yet somehow the due diligence that Quad Graphics may or may not have been performing, and I will go on a limb and say I think it's probably on the may not have been performing, but the due diligence glided right past what would be a basic red flag, a huge red flag. Four different vendors right in the same place, 
owned by the same company and the payments were just went on through um, I also liked that uh, well you know I suppose in an abstract sense I really got a kick out of the bribes that were paid through Quad Peru's law firm to try to fix the tax case uh, with the judges who were looking to make a 12 million dollar judgment against Quad Peru which apparently would have been a big deal. It would have been two years worth of profits for Quad Peru, up in smoke, in a tax penalty. I can see the incentive to resolve that expeditiously, um, but come on, folks. And I understand that yeah, this is a developing nation. Peru is not known for its clean government. Um, there's going to be a lot of difficulty there, but working with a law firm t to fix a tax case, like at what point did somebody somewhere, anywhere think this was okay. This should not have been okay at all. Was, I'm going to guess minimal training, no training. Like, did their training not mention that funneling bribes through uh, through your law firm, through your vendors was a problem? If they had great training and people were ignoring it, then that's the lousy internal controls, which is what the SEC ultimately dinged them on. Um, and like I said, I haven't even gotten to Cuba. I haven't gotten to China. I don't even know enough about those parts of the cases really to talk about them. But this case literally has something for everybody. Every compliance mistake you could make, I think, is in this settlement. So I really enjoyed the, uh, the bribes of the judges part. Because let me just read some of the numbers that uh, the law firm, Peruvian law firm, uh, not only was an active part, but suggested the bribe amounts. Uh, so for the first bribe at the trial level, it's going to come in at twenty thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. um, then um, they won at the trial level, but they got it reversed at the court of appeals. So uh, about six months later, the law firm said they needed fifty thousand dollars. Obviously, trying to bribe more judges. Well, appellate judges cost more. Come on. Exactly. Um, three months later, apparently the fifty thousand dollars didn't work. Three months later, they. Uh, Build at uh, another two hundred thousand, and then three days after that, excuse me, two days after that, they build another four hundred thousand. So we're getting into some fairly serious bribe money here. Uh, interestingly, the payment could not be made out of the law department's funds. They did not have funds for that type of payment. So the payments were made out of a, an account used to pay suppliers. Uh, so that's some. Um, a clear disconnect between accounts payable in terms of ramping up these uh, funds or, or invoices, payment out of not a suspicious account, but another anomalous account uh, to hide the payment. So um, really interesting. I mean, it, it, on a serious note, that does violate several good principles of third-party governance. Uh, they're all listed in the FCPA guidance the Justice Department put out. You know, are you paying a third party through the account for which it had been created? You know, law firms should be paid through the legal department funds. Um, are you paying a third party for services which it can supposedly provide? And if you're funneling money through a supplier account to a law firm, that should be a red flag. Um, and of course, they couldn't even supply the service, which was a fixed case, which just makes it all the worse. My favorite number in this whole thing, though, was that the monthly retainer for the law firm was $1,200 a month. Now, I get that it's an emerging market, but I'm doing the math. Here in the U.S., $1,200 might buy you 90 minutes worth of a partner's time. And 
there they are thinking $1,200 for the whole firm for a month. Like, I hate to say it, but that was even, I think, by Peruvian standards, probably too low. So why would you have it? Why would anybody not ask? Are the prices commensurate with the services being performed? Which is another hallmark of the FCPA guidance on third parties. And, like, it didn't happen. So um, I thought there were a lot of lessons learned from the nuts and bolts compliance perspective. We've talked about the um, third parties, the sham third parties, the sham invoices. Actually, we didn't mention the invoices because the invoices were classic. Remember, you had three third parties uh, from the same physical location, and then you had four third parties, one more with all the same owner. Well, they would come in with the same descriptions for the same services, billed at the same amounts, sometimes with the same invoice numbers, uh, and that never got picked up. Um, but the uh, so we had uh, failures in due diligence. We had failures in invoicing review. We detailed the failures of review around the law firm billing. But it started out uh, really. Uh, Quad Graphics had no appreciation of how to deal with an overseas uh, expansion uh, because they had no compliance program yeah. in place. And they acquired by merger an internationally focused company. And so prior to 2012, excuse me, 2010, it was a private company, uh, printing company headquartered in Wisconsin with domestic sales only after their purchase of World, World Color Press, Canadian company, they were a major international presence. They had no compliance program. Their first hire as a CCO uh, actually had no compliance experience and no tech experience. So uh, th maybe they're the ones who contributed to the uh, the need for a compliance expertise in the compliance function. You know, that that is an excellent point, and I had wanted to raise it too, is that we can't lose sight of the forest through the trees here. Now, there's a lot of trees we can pick over, but the forest is that this was an organization Quad Graphics that picked up a large publicly traded firm in this kooky sort of reverse merger thing, then suddenly they become a big global player. And the, clearly the board had no idea of the implications of that around what their compliance risks would be, how you would try to govern those risks. They were totally out of their depth. Um, I was struck by that because so often when I write about the nuts and bolts, Sarbanes-Oxley compliance issues, pre-IPO companies they spend forever trying to figure out how to survive that transition. And they actually spend more money just before the IPO and just after the IPO on all of this stuff. And I don't know enough of the history around this specific transaction, but it kind of looks like Quad Graphics just quickly did a merger and, whoa, here we are, we're a public company. And like, that's not the way you do it. Because if you do, you wind up with these situations much later. and. This is just an enormously expensive way to learn your lesson about how to conduct yourself as a public company, and they should have been able to anticipate that. Uh, perhaps the other thing we might spend a few minutes on was the total amount of the fine and penalty. The company agreed to pay $6.9 million in disgorgement, uh, $959,000 in prejudgment interest, and a $2 million civil penalty on top of that. Damages nearly, or damages monetary relief, nearly in the amount of... Uh, $10 million that actually seems relatively low for the conduct involved. I think so. And I mean, this is a company that these days is about $4.3 billion a year in revenue. Back when the misconduct happened, it was closer to $4.7 billion. Like, 
they can afford more than 10 million. I know it's nobody's idea of a good time, but um, there was willful intent here, or I don't know, actual knowledge or negligence or however you want to, whatever you want to call it. But it's not like people were clueless as about what misconduct was happening, and then they did not move to rectify it in a timely manner. And some of the details of you know duplicate invoice numbers and duplicate vendors and these these processes or accounts payable are still paying out the payments like that's just sloppy accounting and it is sad that uh this is a relatively low fine for that sort of misconduct and i let alone the justice department and no criminal misconduct where would the personal indictments then be are there any forthcoming i haven't seen any like that but if we are in favor of letting companies go as they help us pursue individuals okay but if there is ever a case that raises questions about who's going to get nailed on this this is, somebody should get nailed on this the um i guess the thing that that struck me the most was when i read uh the summaries of this case and i read the sec press release i thought this is going to be a fairly standard case nothing really new but frankly there was a lot in here to digest lots of lessons learned lots of policy issues lots of almost philosophical issues of the points around fcpa enforcement on a forward-looking and backward-looking uh perspective absolutely yeah it's a great case well, Matt, this has been a ton of fun, and uh, I look forward to seeing what next week brings us. All right. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you'll join us again next week where Matt and I take another deep dive into a compliance or compliance-related topic. Compliance into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network, now a part of C-Suite Radio. And once again, we have our own iTunes show. So get the iTunes Compliance into the Weeds app so you can check us out every week on a regular basis. Thanks so much for listening. I look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.